0: how's everyone doing today Good. yeah can you guys hear us at the back yes Good. so we're using mics but we're not using the speaker so we're actually recording that's why we're using the mic so if you can't hear us just raise your hand or just yell can't hear you and we'll attempt to speak a little bit louder um... okay shall we begin yeah alright so a couple of questions um Anybody work for a media outlet or a news outlet or is a journalist you're not in the room? They're going to kick you out. Or for Facebook. <laughs> Anybody work for Facebook? Any work for yeah. Facebook? They wouldn't put their hand up. <laughs> Anyone work for Google? <laughs> CBC? Twitter? No. Okay. Good. I think we're good then. Um, spies. We're spies. Are there sp- any Russian
1: trolls? <laughs> trolls? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
0: You're with. Um, seriously? You at the Freedom Party? Yeah, I
2: sit on the
0: Provincial. Alright, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds good. We'll talk about you this second. I've been in politics for many years. You will love this discussion then. I was
2: there at the last, (laughs) my election, right, where Harper was
0: like, yeah, this Canadian alliance doesn't work. Mmm. Um, so we're going to talk, uh, about media, we're going to talk about politics, we're going to talk about journalism, We're gonna talk about uh, news, we're gonna talk about the public. Um, And so just, we just wanna get a gauge on the level of the audience here. Would you guys say you guys are, you know, you spend hours a day um, sourcing out whether what you're reading is true or not, or are you headline readers, you know, do you get your news from from tweets without going to the links? So we're just curious on who we're talking to so we know where to steer this discussion. So if anyone wants to raise your hand and...
1: How many people would say they're super nerdy when it comes to this topic? Raise your hand. Okay.
0: Okay. That's That's pretty good. Okay, so we're going to get into it. All right, so here we go. Our people. All right. (laughs) So for the sake of the podcast, let me do a, a little intro. My name is Karim Kanji. This introduction might be a great time Uh, For all of you to subscribe to my podcast, welcome with Kareem Kanji, that's that's all I'll say about that. So, the impact of technology and media on the upcoming federal election. That was the title that I put for this session when we registered. Now, that title may be fake news. At the very least, it's likely misleading. Uh, Dan would say it's 100% manipulated content. Here's what you'll hopefully learn this afternoon over the next 45 minutes. What you need to learn about how to inform yourself, your family, and your friends on the real issues in advance of the federal election. Let me introduce uh, the panel. Greg Tilston, to my far right. VP at Iron Gate Wine, speaker, investor, and podcaster. To his left is Ari Shapiro. Uh, he's a podcaster and digital publisher at AriShapiro.com. Uh, dot don't co- ca. Dot ca. Dots, did I say d- dot C-A, Sorry. <laughs> That's
3: what happens when you're the second most popular Ari Shapiro in North America. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Dan Spearin. He's an original YouTuber, former host of Young Turks Network, and he's a political and media commentator. Thanks to all of you for taking your Saturday afternoon off. Um, There's a lot of places that we can start and by all means if anyone has any questions or wants to ask our opinions on this particular topic, by all means just uh, raise your hand or yell it out, uh, get our attention somehow and uh, we will hope to address that. Um, But something that obviously has been in the news for all of us uh, over the past couple of years is this term, fake news. Um, and I think, you know, for, for myself at least, the idea of fake news most likely may have started just prior to the financial crisis. When all of the business journalists and everyone that we may have watched on BNN and shows like that were saying that the economy was amazing, it's the best time to invest, things could not have looked brighter, and then all of a sudden we have a crash. Um, Dan, which crash? Oh, just wait. Past couple of years. I guess right before... 1986. 86. We'll <laughs> talk about... 86. But I, just prior to Obama coming in uh, to, oh, eight, to power. Oh, eight, so that's oh, eight, eight, oh, eight, eight, 8, 10 years ago? Oh, eight, oh, nine. oh, eight, oh nine. Um, But Dan said this had been happening since the 30s. Sure. So I think where we could start, maybe Dan, you can start it off, is this whole idea of fake news. You know, it's not just Donald Trump calling CNN or anyone he disagrees with fake news. But, wh- you know, how did this all... Begin and manifest
1: in a sound by form. <laughs> um, okay, so, like, I think one of the things that we're all here, and you know, we pulled the audience and we're all super nerdy about it, so I don't think we're gonna, like, you know, give you the Wikipedia entries on Cambridge a- Analytica anytime soon. But one of the mm. things that I think is interesting to talk about is how technology plays a role in how not only we get our information, but also how media organizations, political parties are using that information and gathering that information. So, propaganda itself isn't new. And one of the reasons why I wore this lovely CBC t-shirt today was in 1935, uh, there was an election and it was uh, Mackenzie King and RB Bennett. And the conservatives at the time, this was pre CBC, but there was a radio network. They ran this really hilarious soap opera that unfortunately nobody has a record of. It's just in print, but no one's actually, nobody kept the original audio source, but it was a soap opera the conservatives put on the air and it was basically all about this stingy guy and it was the liberals are gonna come take it. It was the old school thing that we're still used to now, which is liberals are coming for your money and everything's falling apart. Mm. And the character was based on King and it was really obvious. So obviously the liberals were really upset about this. And this is the beginning of the CBC, which is they came in and they put forward the legislation that would become part of, you know, the origins of the Broadcasting Act and started the, and started the CBC essentially. Because they were concerned about fake news. So a year before that actually was in Alberta, the best one of this is in the fake news that we see that you know Doug Ford uses uh, with Ontario News Now or something like that. But the Social Credit Party in Alberta in 1934 used a, an idea of call in a Martian. And so a Martian would ask questions about like, I'm confused about your culture. And the radio show would Answer the questions and it basically was propaganda for social credit. They were like, Social credit sure looks good. Thanks, Martian. And that was the show. <laughs> and so these are the origins of this that go all the way back to the beginning of CBC. So when we talk about Ontario Proud today, when we talk about all these things, keep in mind the mediums are new. The way that they can access information and spread information is new, mm-hmm. but the techniques aren't that new. And we've been doing this for a really long time. So I think. As we dive deeper into that, we talk about context or whatever you want to talk about, and how technology plays a part of that, I think that it's important to remember that people have been dealing with this for a long time, and we don't necessarily have to go running to the bomb shelters because everything's you know futile.
2: Yeah.
1: we've dealt with
0: this a bunch in our past, and we've overcome it. We may have dealt with it, but it's it seems, it seems newish. It seems that we're we're at the precipice of something going really really wrong, uh, of of people seeing. Um, in air quotes, news on, on their favorite social media channel, um, and deciding that what they've read is actually the truth and nothing but the truth, uh, and then start taking action um, on that. you know, So whether it is um, you know, things going on in the Philippines or Sri Lanka where um, you know, certain sides of, of the political spectrum will say, these are what these certain types of people are doing and then, you know, crowds of people go and start taking action on what is uh, essentially false or lies or fake news. Yeah, um,
4: great. I was yeah, going to say, too, I think what's, inter- what's important to note, too, is, it, and as Dan's pointed out over time, you know, as much as we'd love to bash on Trump and, and Ford now with News Now, yeah. you know, this has come from all sides, all political stripes. Like, you know, right now it seems to be a conservative tool, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's used by all parties. It's used by all slants. So, yeah. So when you talk about er- different regions around the world, we're not just talking about the conservatives. No, it's the not the just right a, use of it. Yeah,
0: you. it's not just a, a North American phenomenon. We saw it with, I mean, I guess, Brexit, right? Where people thought one thing, and then all of a sudden they get something else.
3: Well, and and the great risk, and consequence of Brexit, as we now know, is that it wasn't so much the disinformation or propaganda or efforts of algorithms on behalf of Cambridge Analytica to distort the issue it was the fact that the citizenry the citizens re- literally knew very little about the issue there was It wasn't an informed yes We would like Quebec to stay no Quebec should leave mm-hmm. right in the past We were vigilant on how we polarized things that we could all get our heads around Now we're being asked to polarize things that some of us simply don't understand mm-hmm. and brexit You go up to the even the average Canadian who I would think is a little more educated on what brexit represents as a consequence for those lovely English people across the pond. They're near and dear to my heart because I love the BBC. And when Dan was discussing old Lost Archives, I thought of like Lost Doctor Who episodes from the 70s. There were some really great (laughs) ones with Tom Baker and John Pertwee gone forever. You would think that the most presumably civilized culture out there would understand the consequences of making a decision that is universally recognized as being bad for themselves, but they still took that path. So when I think of Doug Ford or Donald Trump as these these issues that should be debated as phenomenons. No, I think this is like the gradual, as you described, consequence of what happens when we continue to polarize the narrative. So we're not even sure what's true and what's false. It's like looking up Nikita Khrushchev online to see that time he was in the UN pounding his fists and now learning that somebody put a fake shoe in his hand and then made a fake Wikipedia page. So if you're not sure if it was real, you can read the Wikipedia page to validate the truth. That's a problem. We're not thinking critically. We're relying on these cybernetic extensions that are our cell phones to quickly give us the answers, and then we dig into our trenches and we go to war. And that's absolutely killing us. It's destroying collaboration. It's increasing loneliness. The average person is becoming more and more disjointed from what it means to be a real human being. Not to be heavy on the subject. (laughs) 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 Well
0: then, so how do we, okay, so, so we know, and, and most of the room would, would know that um, the majority of what we first come across at first glance, whether it be a headline, or whether it be a tweet, or whether it be a link on Facebook, um, or even what we search on Google, the first thing we see might not be the whole truth. Let's not, let's not even say whether it's, it's totally fabricated. Where and how are people supposed to discern? what is the actual truth, or does it matter anymore? Like, does it matter what's, what's true or not true?
1: Yes. <laughs> uh, it matters. I think the question becomes, listen, I'm, I'm on a different, maybe I should go last year, because I'm on a different <laughs> plane altogether, which is, I actually think when you said that the UK like, being the most civilized, I mean, I think that's what we got, in the, like that's what caused a lot of these problems to begin with. Is the idea of like one country or empire being like we got this and you all will get it? And if you look at who fake news is really hurting in the world, it's not the West who's making all the profits from Silicon Valley. It's the countries like they were in the past that we export that stuff to and and try to you know Americanize sort of the world or empire build. So that's a longer conversation. But what I'm trying to get to you that I think is actually really the heart of this problem when you actually talk about the results of of this. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown that fake news, when you talk about people that are purposely putting misinformation into the public, aren't moving the needle a whole lot in when, it, when it comes to actual results of elections. What we're seeing though is a polarization of the current political people who are already going to vote. So you're seeing the left get farther to the left, the right get far to the right. So you saw this week with the yellow vests and and the convoy, right? Yeah. The conservative party courts that. The counter would be the Occupy movement on the left, right? They count, like the, the AOCs of the world, Bernie Sanders of the world, they're getting more of a voice in the system. Now, I'm not here to talk about the politics of that, but that is put on technology a lot, but it's also a lot to do with our modern fundraising and how digital changed fundraising. Hmm. Um, and so when technology, we talk about technology, there's a couple of things I, I know, I'm not sure how you wanna run this down in general, but the, the things to look at is how this isn't necessarily, in my opinion, a crisis of data, it's a crisis of marketing. And we're allowing a marketing mutiny to happen over information, And that's when, I said this to you, you know, before I starts the panel, the classic problem that we've always been fighting is mixing up the public interest and the public appetite. And a lot of the data harvesting and a lot of the data and the way we treat data is by making sort of this feedback loop of, you know, I always say we're talking about fake news and how media companies are running Media, mm-hmm. it would be like if you were trying to lose weight, and an out al- you trained an algorithm. You're like, ah, algorithm, help me, and the algorithm chose what you liked to look at on Instagram, mm. and that's what your diet was. Well, you like to look at burgers, maybe like you know, you maybe like to look at these like five cheese lasagnas, and like, his food porn is interesting in that way, but it won't help you. <laughs> like, yeah. The vegetable maybe doesn't look as cool. Okay. And that's sort of what we're doing with news. It's like, what we like, what's the, w- the reader willing to pay for, and then that's how we decide what's going to happen. So we're starting out in a bad place. By the time it gets down to Ontario Proud, they don't have to tweak a whole they a
0: symptom rather than...
1: Yeah, and I think it's like, when you look at like how many people know what Sophie is at the Globe and Mail?
0: One person. Two people in two the two back.
1: People. So like Sophie's a really interesting thing. So it's no E. S-O-P-H-I. Sophie's a program that the Globe and Mail uses to take a look at what their readers are looking at, and then they think they can better design a paper because of it. One of the results of that was losing European coverage and doubling down on Tim Horton's journalism, because guess what? People in business in Canada are more interested in reading that. You can make two arguments about that. You can be like, journalism's screwed. They need money. And guess what? Public decides what's important. Business people in the the country get to decide what's more important to them. You could also look at it from a bigger picture, which is we're dumbing down. So there's two sides to that. Sophie also gave us things like it killed the life section and it killed the sports section in the weekend editions of The Globe and replaced it with a 12-page opinion um, section. People love that. Is that good? a longer conversation.
3: It goes to your point about the crisis of marketing. The way I interpret that is I being someone who has extensive an extensive background in sports journalism, I'm acutely aware of how polarized the world of paywall sites versus content mills that we live in now, right? You either have one of two options. You can either pay a little bit to get what you consider to be the finest high-quality journalism in the land, Mm -hmm. or you can go about and put up with ads and get stuff for free knowing that nine times out of 10, it's sensationalistic drivel just put together, so you clicked it. Maybe you'll get lucky. I happen to be a bit of eliti- an elitist in that regard. I run a website where I only put up articles that I myself would want to read. They're, they reach my standard. I'm not worried about making a buck. I'm not worried about my analytics, say. I just want to be able to have compelling, authentic dialogue, which, to your point, Kareem, is absolutely true. We now live in an environment where journalism has been betrayed, along with this thirst for marketing dollars and trying to get it the easy way. Once upon a time, what back in the days of newspapers, I used to love to read the Toronto Star for my... World News and then sometimes I'd read the Globe and Mail and sometimes I'd read the National Post and for sports almost invariably the Toronto Sun and for other reasons too, like really attractive crossword puzzles.
2: <laughs> but in the final analysis, no matter
3: what story I was reading, in any of these publications, they were usually closely related. You could hmm. tell which one had the conservative hue from some kind of writer who was a fiscal conservative or a social conservative, and then you'd see the ones that had visions of grandeur associated with a, with a great uh, socialist dialogue that some people would consider progressive. But in the end, it was relatable. Now, you read these same newspapers, and you can not only tell the bias inherent to their ownership Mm -hmm.
5: group/slash
3: person in charge, but you're also starting to see, like you mentioned, Dan, headlines being generated for the sake of getting people's attention and so dumbing down the narrative that you've even forgotten why you're reading it in the first place. And that to me is dangerous because there are a lot of great classically uh, trained journalists, both sports journalists and mainstream journalists, who have. Been forgotten or fled to these paywall sites in an effort to keep track of what's left of their Monetizing legitimacy because you got to make money. You got to eat and a lot of these journalists can't eat And if they know the only way they can get a steak is to get you to click on their byline Don't be surprised if you're reading down a lot of drivel okay of bad stuff
1: Let's just do a quick thing and then I see some hands. Well, let me just pull the room because I'm curious if you don't yeah. mind yeah, yeah, how many people subscribe to a newspaper? Hands, so we've got like a room... A newspaper. There's like already. four. Yeah. Yeah. No, both doesn't matter. Different. Any sort of news source, do you subscribe to it? Okay. So that's good. People are paying for journalism. Um, depending on what some people like, InfoWars gets all my money. Um, so, <laughs> right, <laughs> so I have no idea what you... I didn't ask you what source. But, what source, fair enough. But <laughs> that's one angle of it. So like our... Because what I am trying to get at wasn't to judge anyone who does or doesn't. What I was trying to get at is... A lot of times these conversations are insular. So the problem that you posed just now, right, is I do it for me and I am more, okay, great, but that's the problem we have with a lot of journalism. So for example, if you're in a low income situation, you'll probably not get a whole lot of stories to talk about that because you're never gonna pay for it. So a lot of this also feeds us back into the traditional problems of hmm. the class issues of, and the white male gaze of journalism. Which is a lot of white people, a lot of white guys, and their data set because they've been historically white and male is white and male, and then they put the data set together and go, "I got the solution. It's the status quo." And you're like, "Wait, how did this actually work out?" And so that's part of the problem with when I talk about the crisis of marketing is because mm. marketing folks will look at something and go, "Like, how do we get there faster?" And it's and the usual the answer is like more of the same, but on eleven. It's a spinal tap problem. So this is what. I think, when we talk about fake news, we start out there, and then by the time the bad actors get it, it's not that hard, because if you'll remember a couple, um, a month ago or so, there was an article in The Sun that talked about the Radisson Hotel, and the, and it was based on TripAdvisor.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fake killing comments. Goats.
1: And there was killing goats in the hotel, and it was just this racist bullshit. But they ran The Sun. Now, all of the bad actors, insert, you know, fake news or insert propaganda on Facebook and social media have a legitimate news source. We That's can right. argue whether or not Sun is legit or not, but... No, but it ha- gets legitimized, right? right? That's your point. Really it gets fast. legitimized. But it, did we start out that way because the Sun's trying to get close to that article. Mm-hmm. And that article was pushed and we can take a look and say, like, look, data says this story does well. Yeah. And they're not wrong. So when I was with the Young Turks... This led the Young Turks into a rabbit hole of almost being a stump for Bernie Sanders. Like, it just became the Bernie Sanders Network. We were selling Bernie Sanders t shirts, and I was like, whoa, like, wait, wait, time out. It doesn't matter whether you're with him politically or not with him politically, it's not the point. The point is, it's like once you start becoming an organization. That it becomes televangelism at one point. Shilling
0: for one. It starts to shrink
1: down. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you can only go to those people for money. So you look at the fake news that we talk about the most in Canada. Toronto Sun starts the Sun News Network. Corey Tonight was the press secretary for Harper. Decides to go create a news network. From that news network is Ezra Levant. They realize they can't win cable. They can't keep their license. They go, to the, they, they go to the government, say, we want money. Government says, no. That splinters. Ezra and, and the group have the rebel. The, the rebel splinters and gives us Faith Goldie, the lovely <laughs> racist alt-right Nazi-supporting mayor of Toronto candidate. Third choice for mayor. Correct, in Toronto. And, Pardon? Most of her okay. That's not, that shouldn't be on the sign. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, uh, a tobacco. <laughs> no, no,
5: I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You're worried about your. You're like, I'm really glad I own this house. Uh, how do I flip it? Um, so, so you know, take a look at that. Now, who worked at social media at Sun News Network? The boys at. Ontario Proud. Ontario so this starts from traditional media. They get, they learn the digital that a lot of us were doing on online models. Mm-hmm. And they realize they can fudge things. So I was part of a story from Candleland a few months back, or almost, I guess, two years ago almost now, where I was like, no, listen, that was faked. Like, their social media following was faked. So Ontario Proud can leverage media by... Using traditional media to say, look at what we're doing. Aren't we interesting? Isn't this sexy? Like, are new factors going to influence the election? So in a lot of ways, what starts out starts to snowball. And then media starts to grab it because it's interesting. Faith Goldie's interesting. Donald Trump was interesting. It's horrible. But you'll click on it. Yeah. And you'll read about it. And so there's no incentive to monetize anyone to be intelligent unless you build it. Like, and so, there's not an incentive to inform, and if there's no monetization of information, why would anyone do it? And that's the old school problem that's getting very, very scary. When, sev- if Toronto Star Tomorrow pulls out of print and goes straight to digital, they lose 75% of their income. What do you do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What would you do? If I told the Young Turks tomorrow That they had to pivot away from the like the Bernie Sanders crowd. I don't think they could do it, and I don't know if the Toronto Star can either. I don't know how you pivot to that. You you flop because what that that base of people are interested in reading about isn't what a millennial generation is necessarily interested in reading about. There are overlaps, but it's a lot of different issues. It's a lot of different. To try to balance both of those things is a huge challenge.
0: You said there were some people with with hands up? If you could just yell it, (laughs) or we'll repeat it.
5: base was getting apathetic. So while they were trying to chase the undecided voters, the people in the middle who could be swayed one way or the other, they realized that the the base wasn't getting out there. So politics now seems to have gone to the extremities. They want their base to show up. They know that the undeciders may or may not show up anyways, so we won't put our energy into it, which has kind of led to, it kind of of perpetuates the the polarization. How do you swing it back and, and maybe it's not a good thing to, to chase after the middle ground. But the middle ground, I feel, is like where discourse can happen, where, where people can have a larger conversation about the issues and not focus on just getting you know polarizing so that you, know, you have your bulldogs on the right and your bulldogs on the left showing up on election day to cast a ballot and you don't care about anybody else. So the mayor of Ottawa, and, and not this election, but the previous election, was elected by 20% of the city. Maybe if you look at all the voter tournaments about twenty percent of people, the people, majority voted for the mayor. It was like a landslide victory, which is twenty percent of the population. Hmm. So how do you now change it so that in this upcoming federal election, which Sorry. may not be possible now with the SNC labeling right, thing, how do you change it so that they now start to go after
0: I think it's about incentive, right? Is, is there an incentive for political parties to go to the middle, right? Everyone is saying the Liberals need to go further left to do two things, to, to stake out a ground that is different than the Conservatives um, and to ensure that uh, the NDP with or without Jagmeet Singh don't have a voice or are not a factor. So I, I don't know if there's an incentive to go after... The mighty middle. part
3: make then? Pardon me? make voting
0: mandatory. No, I, I'm, I'm against uh, mandatory voting. I'm for it, for that reason. For what reason, though? What he just said.
1: I, I, mandatory voting would help a lot, making the, the, the day actual holiday. Um, going to these things that actually disrupt, for like a Buzzwordian of mm-hmm. the last decade, um, to disrupt marketing. Because what marketers really look at is I'm not gonna, how many times have you seen kids go, we're drowning in student debt, and every article in the newspaper is, well, you don't vote, tough. Well, well you, don't care about you. <laughs> mandatory voting, guess what? Uh, they're gonna vote. Now, does that get scary in a whole other way? Yeah, because then fake news can really sway things. There you're right, yeah, but i still, thing. I'd rather go there because at least we're making that an issue. Having,
4: having spent 20% of my last, well, seven of my last 10 years in Australia, um, that 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 middle sector is very easily swayed.
5: Sure. By, so, by but that. that's
4: a separate problem. So going back to... <laughs> you
5: raised a very interesting point and I want to jump on that tied to politics. Apple does not market Apple products to non-Apple users. When they come out with the iPhone 10 they go all in because they know everybody who has anything iPhone 8 and before, they're, the, they're going to go out and get a new iPhone. And that's what political parties are doing. I feel. They're going after the people who are going to vote
1: so I, I, think the suggestion of men I think there's, I'm trying to put this in, like, because I know we only have, you know, so much time. So it's, it's a lot to, like, dissect. But you're not wrong that, and this is why I ask how many people subscribe to newspapers or whatever. The issue, in a large part, is everyone's disconnected. So there's a great quote by Alan Gregg about politics, and he says, McDonald's and Burger King would never go at each other and say, Burger King has E. coli, come to McDonald's. Because they know everybody would be like, Jesus, burgers, yuck, gross. Mm-hmm. And the whole category would fall apart. In every time we have an election, and now we're almost in election cycles constantly. We're in a constant campaign. That's all we do in politics. Mm-hmm. We're just like, they're corrupt. The whole thing should be burned to the ground. The Senate's corrupt. Politicians are corrupt. That party's corrupt. He's a traitor. This week we actually had one of our highest public service uh, servants say, I'm kind of concerned somebody might get assassinated. Yeah, like that's where we're at now. So I think that these issues are about what you're talking about, right? Which is like the middle ground's gone, but also the middle ground's disengaged entirely. Yeah. So how do you bring them back? Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, if I had that answer, I wouldn't be at PodCamp. <laughs> 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 I've been making
0: millions and millions of dollars in my evil lair. <laughs> yes. Uh, how do you? How do you generally
1: I mean, you know, you've got Patty Chayefsky's network, and I think that a lot, like from 1976, right? This is not new. That movie came out before I was born, and it's probably more relevant than when it came out. Uh, I'll tell you the the two issues that I see digital causing, like a big problem with. And one is, it is an Americanization of content in a lot of ways. It's English speaking out of America, and those hubs are influencing us a lot. So I was part of Independent Web Creators of Canada. We lobbied on part of the government. We were four creators. So during DigiCanCon, Netflix, right? That's a really good example. Netflix is something that everybody loves, but there's no will in politics to regulate any of these hubs. So when I'm a, when I'm a creator on YouTube and I, and I go against a brand, that brand... Copyright, What's used for example. I'll get a strike on my YouTube channel. If I get three strikes, I'm gone. In politics, Chair Girl doubled <laughs> her subscribers last week. <laughs> she threw a thing off a balcony. Her Instagram went from 4,000 followers to 12,000 followers in like four days. She's still on Instagram. She can still, Faith Goldie is on YouTube, making money, is on Twitter still. So these people, there's no incentivization. Now, this is, once again, It's a longer thread, but the infotainment aspect of it is that's how those things work. But at the same time, when you peel back the layers, we don't have incentive because when I went to talk about creators' issues to the government of Canada, the heritage minister was Leslie Church, who I previously knew when she worked at Google. Kevin Chan was the policy director. Michael Ignatieff, he is now the policy director for Facebook Canada. Mm -hmm. They don't care. Ry- Michael Chan's also on, Kevin Chan, I mean, is also on the board at the Ryerson, of uh, Ryerson's board here. And guess what happened with Ryerson and Facebook? They created journalism school together to help everywhere else in the world, in Europe or whatever. They're regulating these things. And it, it, it would help a lot. Data, nut- we've talked about nutrition labels, right? So you know where your data is coming from. You pop up something, and it's almost like you know, you, you get a, a a bottle of juice and it tells you what's in it. You don't know where your data's going when you log on to things. You don't know where th- information's coming from. You're not sure if a trusted source is just a really famous actor with a blue check mark or a journalist that you can trust, but they both have blue check marks. So we're confused constantly too.
3: And we narrowly dodged a bullet, if not for those precious few internet activists those creators who don't do it because they want to subscribe to the notion of being as greedy and narcissistic as possible. Anyone who remembers Aaron Swartz will understand fully how he was really the martyr for preventing the total control of information. You know, you asked your original question was, how, how can we ensure that the news isn't fake? How do we know we're getting legitimate sources? Well, we narrowly had a reality where the website owners could control the nature of the content if they weren't happy with it. People don't realize how close this ultimately came because there were a lot of dollars involved from the Republican side and the lobbyists and so on and so forth. I I worry enormously about how we're supposed to not, as you mentioned, uh, this gentleman is other question about apathy. The problem with being apathetic about something is usually when you don't have choice, right? I mean, if you live in a reality where you can only choose between Pepsi and Coke, Bell and Rogers, Blue Jays and Blue Jays, (laughs) <laughs> then you suddenly realize that if something isn't going your way or you're not happy with the philosophy of things, you feel that your insult is being intelligent, uh, your, your intelligence, rather, is being insulted, then you're, you're pretty much lost because what's your recourse, right? As Dan pointed out in his beautiful or- origin stories about how these things happen, they happen quickly, they happen insidiously. As Cree mentioned off the start, it doesn't help when you go through massive seismic financial crashes where people lose their dignity because you know what happens when you live paycheck to paycheck and you can't pay your bills? You tend to be a lot more susceptible to disinformation and propaganda Mm -hmm. for someone who will come along and say, hey, I'm Doug Ford. I used to be this kind of fairly... uneventful counselor who used to hum and ha and yell and make an ass of myself and somehow have parlayed that into becoming not only the premier of this province but if he plays his cards right he could one day be the leader of the federal opposition too. I'm sure that's being discussed. There is a real vacuum here in the middle for those of us whom I described the other night to Greg over dinner that are liberal at heart but conservative in mind. Have an appreciation for the value of fiscal conservatism the way your parents taught you but enough compassion left to not take away sheltered beds or take away spending on any kind of Francophone programs because, you know, we are a bilingual country. So here we are challenged between the fabric of the past and watching it tear at the seams and a completely uncharted reality that I wish I had an answer. I'm sure all of us do here. If we did, we'd stop at the door and ask you for a small royalty for it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Go ahead. I'm really depressed. Uh,
1: Sure, yeah.
3: I worry about, and I'm I'm sure Dan wants to get his two cents in here, but I just want to start by saying that... (laughs) I've monopolized enough. Look, Facebook, there's a reason to to really have a problem with what Facebook did. And not just because from the beginning we willfully gave them the information that they used to keep us interested and and vain and self-absorbed, but the fact that they so ruthlessly abused it abused it in such ways that they're now designing algorithms that recognize everything from facial patterns to, you know, security checkpoints at Rogers and Bell, like they need to hear my voice in order to better isolate the variables of what I sound like and what I do. I'm consciously and acutely aware over time that we are being asked to give over information that we later learn is being manipulated against us. So how how does that stop? Maybe it starts with people being so naive and gullible and maybe a little bit more critical thinking before they jump into something. I mean, we have to take some personal responsibility. Facebook didn't just descend upon us with a mission to make our lives miserable. Presumably, we should have stopped and asked ourselves, what am I missing inside myself that I need to go on Facebook and send you pictures of my food, my dog, or my relationships? These are important questions. It contributes to your self-image, your self-actualization. We need people with a little bit more self-worth and a little less of that insecurity that they feel needed to uh, uh, validate every day in front of the mirror. you got to believe in yourself. We all, each of us, have something to offer that one of us here clearly doesn't have, and yet we don't want to search it out. We'd rather just click and triple likes to, you know, children toys that are being opened by young children who are monetizing hand over fist faster than we could in our entire lives.
1: Hold on. Let me... Sorry, I just want to... When we talk about that kind of stuff, no, I disagree.
5: (laughs) Stop collabing! I love it. But I'll tell you why.
1: (laughs) This is—they close the so. This is a really longer conversation. I'm probably getting into today, but if you know how this works on Facebook, they close the loop. So they advertise something to you, and they can also manipulate how you feel about it. So if they couldn't do one of those things, I would agree with that. It's all chair girls fault, but it's not because the way that they they actually incubate folks is to create chair girl moments. That's how the platforms are, are working. Now, not everyone's going to do that. I get that, but is there money in that chair toss? There sure is. And until there's not, why don't platforms have a liability to that? So we aren't looking at platforms, and one, what you, your question was, do you see hope? And I do, because my generation specifically, and I think older generations, saw these tech companies in two ways. I think the older people thought, finally screw old media who took advantage for so many years and pushed us around and raised the prices on things. Ha, now we've got new guys and they're gonna crush it. And I think young people thought of them as, what's good for the country is good for General Motors. It was our generation's like, Google and Apple wouldn't hurt me. So part of the larger conversation about that is when you were talking about that's how Apple does things. Well, you'd also make an argument in the tech world that Apple is a monopoly and that's a problem. And do we have to go back to Ma Bell and the whole, do we have to break up Silicon Valley a bit? Longer conversation. But the point I'm trying to get to is the platforms for the first time ever are having to answer questions. Mark Zuckerberg got to to testify way too late in the game. That should have been happening in like 2011. And we didn't do it. And now after all this, we're like, oh, okay. And what did we realize in that moment, if anyone watched it, that the politicians have n- no, no clue. clue. The audience all just went, no clue. <laughs> no clue. And that's where the key is. You have to elect people who know what they're talking about. They, they have to understand these things. It's a key factor in my opinion, on who you elect.
3: But the old politicians... Have
1: to solve the to solve the For sure. Oh, it, I think it's about environment, right? It's like certain things are going to affect your environment, but everything's interconnected in a way, and that's why I really hate how fake news has become like, you know, Boris and Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle, but with laptops. It's but just like, know, no, like, this is not...
3: But you mentioned old <laughs> media. No, like. Said. Sure, absolutely. So Hit me.
5: Mm. They've been collecting this information on every purchase people have made, and political parties have been using
1: that information since So, mm-hmm. yes, Facebook is a problem. But they can't emotionally manipulate you. But here's the distinction. No, it's not. That's a, There's a big difference because the banks can't, they don't know how you feel. They can be like, Mark got ice cream. He's sad. <laughs> like, they could guess. But they don't know how, and that's what I'm saying. That's the new part of this that they can make you feel, like if I put, I say, it's next it's yeah. you know, the joke from you know, music, right, is, is pop, are, is, are you, do you listen to pop music because you're sad? Or, or are you sad because you listen to pop music? Like, that's the same kind of idea, right? That it's that feedback loop that can cause the problem. Is it, we're trusting Silicon Valley to do the right thing, to do no evil, a lot where there probably should be regulation in the system.
3: He- here's where the betrayal exists that doesn't apply to banks, although I would argue that there's a bigger betrayal going on, right. as you mentioned, in the way that they monitor our spending habits, sure. when we do it, how we do it, whether or not we might need a financial advisor so we can later watch that commercial with that, uh, that great new theme for what is it uh, wealth simple or whatever it is where somebody's toiling and don't worry, there's always a financial institution out there that will rescue you, even though they all work with each other, especially in the Canadian model. But Dan mentioned old media. To me, old media is the last bulwark in some ways that protects us against what I consider to be the greatest threat, which is historical revisionism. And that's where Facebook has failed this. I don't care that they're mining data and trying to figure out if I'm more prone to buying a vacuum or a sex toy. In the final analysis, what I care about is that people who troll and deliberately obfuscate and create a false narrative in what we know as fake news are allowed to flourish because you can do both. You can mine that information and have a strong base of people who like sharing, as they say in the Judaic tradition, the nachas of the world, where you bring people together and say, look, a new baby, a new cuisine that I perfected, a new relationship, a new dog. But there's no excuse for allowing Holocaust denialism. There's no excuse for allowing the deliberate insult to the indigenous Americans, whether they're from the U.S. or from Canada or from specific tribes, the exploitation of our nature is what bothers me, that they allow it to run amok to such a degree that it creates that gullibility inside those highly impressionable people, whether they're simply not educated enough, whether they simply don't have enough money, or whether they've just simply gone insane. You get all sorts, but the middle, that middle area is manipulated because of that message which overwhelms. I mean, how many people believe that Hillary Clinton ran a child trafficking ring in the bottom of a New Jersey pizzeria? I've got news for you. I still know people who do. They just don't want to stop believing that. So rather than preach to the converted, I'd rather speak to the ones who are are already converted. And maybe by being a little bit authentic and in the middle, they'll just listen a little bit longer. They'll probably still go away saying, ha, that know-it-all pinko. But if they listen to me long enough, they'll realize that centrist values are what they are, issue by issue. Look at what's important to you and vote for the leader who will look after you. Don't lump it all into one narrative that Facebook projects because all liberals are... Are crazy and all conservatives are zen-like masters who know how to look after us. At the back.
1: Yeah. Anthony.
0: Um, Anthony.
6: So I'm wondering if any of you think that this has been a long, slow devolution since the loss of a lot of free-to-air because everyone used to, who used to have a television used to be able to watch news every night. People cutting cables now, because that's what we're hearing is more and more cutting cables, they are losing that access to, as much as we hate it, taught our entire lives, don't believe everything you hear. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people in their heads, that's been translated to don't believe anything you hear. And that's where the fake news gets its currency because if you can't believe anything, you'll believe what's in your wheelhouse more. In other words, something has to fill that vacuum of what you believe. So I'm wondering, when you lose the free-to-air and the cable companies start charging, like people on a limited budget, people living in poverty, cannot afford cable anymore. Free to air is slowly disappearing. In fact, they would love to get rid of it completely. You can still put up an HD antenna and get something, but they want to shut that down if they can. As you lose those traditional news sources that everyone has access to, how much does that really harm us? So, the comment that you just made about uh, traditional media being a bulwark, I'm not saying that you can trust everything on traditional media, because still, traditional media has for every five minutes of content that's actually journalism, it has an hour and a half of punditry. And punditry to me is the death of journalism because that's where you have to fill a 24-hour news. Has that been a natural devolution that, I'm not saying we could have read, but you can track back to this idea
3: of cable companies starting to charge so much, free-to-air starting to disappearing, all of that. Sounds like Tower Records. Sounds like being part of an industry that you realize is crumbling, and instead of trying to find a new direction, you just prey upon it's still you know, slowly spasmic entrails, whether it's Airbnb, whether it's Uber, whether it's skip the dishes. I mean, all these different variations of how technology are helping us is also destroying a pre-existing industry that affected many other people, right? So we're trying to find a balance between how we can innovate so we help ourselves, but not completely destroy what brought us there. And and I think that old media or traditional media, as you mentioned, has been, it's been a slow burn. I mean, there's still, you talked about Toronto Star earlier in this room. You still have brilliant journalists like Mary Ormsby and, and Dave Feshchuk, I still read them, and Kahal Kelly over at the Globe. But the reality is, a lot of their kin... Of course they're all sports people. <laughs> of course they are. Of course they are. Because, because quite frankly, they're the only ones who have anything interesting to say these days, right? Have you read mainstream news? It's not exactly... I, I, mean, I I'll disagree get, with that. I'll get more see. from an episode of Bill Maher sometimes than reading three issues of The Star or, or The Globe or The Post combined together. Because they're all trying to get my right. attention. They're all trying to curry favor, as you mentioned, to what I'm a lot more susceptible and likely to think about especially in a very immediate and dismissive manner. Because I don't want to think too much, because if I'm thinking too much, I might be open to ideas that don't go along that ideological narrative. But I don't even know if ideology is left. I mean, are issues left and right anymore? Do they not seem like they're more being dumbed down to a populist xenophobic wave to fix a quick problem as opposed to a progressive, extremely green-oriented Cortez method? I mean, it's so polarized, we've lost sight of how to get back to the middle. Tim. Hold on, wait, hold on. I, I got, a question here. This gentleman no, really wants to ask that question. No, I, I gotta
1: keep, here's the problem with this conversation that I, I don't like because I hear it a lot. We just have to get back to the middle. Who defines the middle? Like when, what's the the middle isn't a concrete You know who
3: defines the middle? Neil Perd of Rush defines the middle. <laughs> it's it's Apollo and Dionysus and Sickness is the middle. It's when you use your mind. And you use right. your instincts in tandem right. to make decisions right. that don't hurt other people. Because invariably, when you go to one side or the other, right. you'll either make cold, emotionless, you, that's not dispassionate thing. decisions.
1: It's a tangible thing that you're arguing for. But so that we exists can't, in everybody.
3: Right. That's my point. We're not looking at how we can trigger ourselves from within. We're too busy trying to fix the media But if you can get problems. five
1: people into a room in this, in this current climate, and they can all decide where the middle is, I'll, I'll give you a startup.
3: But there is a middle there in all five, right? I mean, but even, but even they even won't if agree five, on it. Let's say there are five... Incredible fatalists who are so extreme that they live in their own utopia. I guarantee you there are gradations of each person. They're not going to be identical. You might have an extreme leftist who believes that... Okay, are wait, left. hold on.
1: We're talking about platform and how we solve the problem of fake news. So I agree with you. What you're trying to talk about is how to pro- solve the problem within.
3: Which will then help solve the problem without. That's my point. My point okay, is but that's like a Tony to...
1: Robbins conference.
3: No, no, not at all. <laughs> on, on the contrary, it's actually, it's actually... It, it, it is a challenge to do Karine, this, because on. you have to ask yourself
0: hard questions. So I understand, Ari, where you're coming from. I think it, it, what your argument, Ari, is, is presupposes that um, everyone out there is the same as everyone in here. No, right? not at all. Not at all. It no, just, it, it does, and the reason, and and so majority of people, I don't know whether we might say there, there's got to be a middle somewhere, and. and how we define that is up for debate in, in, in another podcast session. Um, but I think that people out there, the majority of people, they're not, cons- they're not interested or concerned about where the middle is. They're concerned about themselves, their pocketbook, True. what they believe in, and their tribe. And they I need think- examples, right? Which no, not they, they could care less.
3: No, but if they were to get those moral examples, let's say you had a moral no,
1: leader. No, no, I, I think, I think... Is this going to lead to, like, reading Jordan Peterson's <laughs>
0: 12 Rules of Life? What's <laughs> happening here? I, th- I think... That,
3: <laughs> by the way, that's dismissive. I'll tell you why. That's completely derivative. No, so let, me finish. Hold let, finish. Peterson, hold let me Let me Let me quickly comment on that. Oh, God, why did I Hold on, hold on. Let me quickly comment oh on, on.
0: it. <laughs> wait, on wait all right, let me finish. Let me, let me just finish my point. <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think where you're coming from is a good place, but I think the reality of it, someone asked earlier, is there hope? The reason So I'm saying... I would say yes there is hope and no there is no hope. I would <laughs> I would say there's no hope. There's
1: good news and there's bad news. There's hope and there's no hope. There's
0: there's no hope because w- as much as my dad said you got to look out for the little guy, it's hard to look out for the little guy when the guy looking in the mirror may or may not have enough money or whatever it is to get to the next day, the next year, whatever. Put his kid through university. So we're concerned about ourselves. And so that's why I think there's no hope, number one. Where there is hope, especially in Canada, as we have a tradition in Canada where we have, up until now, allowed ourselves the ability to, to say, you know what? We, I might not know what is good for the whole, but our government has so far, no one's perfect, has so far figured out what... So we have things like Medicare... For all, where, where no matter if you're on the right or the left, again, up until now, it's been you, you, don't, you don't cross that bridge, you don't talk about paid health care. It's, it's everyone gets health care. And I'm just using that as the example. So, where we could have hope is if the government and our leaders had the balls to say, you know what? Yes, Facebook employs X amount of people. Yes, Google employs Y amount of people. Yes. There's a lot of ad agencies, there's a lot of companies, there's millions of Canadians, directly or indirectly, that make a lot of money. But there's some things that are right and some things that are wrong, and we believe that whether it's the truth or whether it is fake news or not fake news, or we believe that there is things that are right and we need to focus on that rather than not want to upset people and not want a, a company to go south of the border or not want people to lose their jobs. There needs to be that understanding of we need to make sure that whether it's old media, traditional media, today's media, future media, that there is a focus on, on what used to be news and not entertainment. Tim.
2: Channel
1: Star was started way before that, but okay, I get what you're what, you're like saying. Like they've always been known as like the red paper. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they the. Okay. Sure. And then, then, I mean, foreign
2: money. We got George
1: George Soros long before.
2: Oh, okay. And then now we got the Russians. I mean, it's it's not. And I mean, even my dad would. I mean, when, when he, he grew up in this uh in England and he mentioned about the Soviets bringing in the this box factory stacks and stacks of literature trying to sneak it in, trying to, you know, persuade, you know, the U.K. to get th- communist. What's back the back. question, though? I'm just saying, how is this any different, this whole fake news of today versus... So i not
1: try to take a- Ante's question, your question, and your question, and try to give you one box answer here, which is... So, to get back to everything, it's different because you have the attention of a lot more people, and you have the ability to inf- change emotion. In a, in a much different way, you didn't. Most people are on social media not to read news, but to interact with friends and family. They didn't interact with the Toronto Star in the same way. So your specific point about Russians and propaganda and people influencing each other, yes, that's happened throughout history. But this is deeper, and it's a longer. It's got a longer tail, and it has much more effect on how you work in your daily life. A lot of the times, you can't leave Facebook because of work. A lot of times, people feel like if you don't have a Facebook page, going into a job interview, people start to look at you funny. Like there's these, these societal things we've got. To come back to hope though, here's where I'm hopeful. It's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. And the reason why fake news and media problems, especially in the digital age, look for fault lines. And the fault lines we have in Canada that already are really, really bare right now. You have West versus East. You have French versus English Canada. You have bigotry on, um, I think like a more heightened level you have the issues of the old-school issues of, like, socialism, what we've always had, free health care, and there's a lot of private interests now that want to change that. So those things are all heightened, and they're all fault lines there to be exploited. So take a look at what Ontario Proud did. If you can laugh it off as who cares, but what it did was it exploited the political system. So he's talking about isn't the same as always. In a way, the political system created a loophole where we took money— Um, the ability to actually look at these political parties and say, you can spend, you can't spend as much, so what do we create? We create outside the party, and what Ontario Proud gave was a backdoor for money to go to something else. So where all that money used to go, the Progressive Conservatives, now they just parked it in Ontario Proud, and of course, Ontario Proud's, you know, the whole point of that organization is to get Conservatives elected. So when you take a look at those things, a lot of it looks the same. What's different is the practice of how this is happening. What's different is, is they're based in America. Toronto Star's profits were based in Canada. Facebook and Google's have ad offices here, which is lovely. But uh, it's, it's not really what's happening on a global scale. So these things are, are a lot different. Where I'm optimistic, the generation below me, we got hit oh. with this, right? we got hit, we got sideswiped with it, we were trying to like catch all the balls and and balance all the plates. They're not. They see a lot of this and go this is bullshit and move on. They see how they get manipulated. We need more media literacy in schools because a lot of the kids don't, but they're not blindsided by it, they're growing up in it. So I have faith that that is going to start going, I I demand better. Just like my YouTube clan, the kids behind me were like this is bullshit. (laughs) Like I have questions whereas our generation was like, maybe we can all make money off of this. And so I have faith in the young people. I also have faith in journalism, unlike you. And like, I, I really think that there are great journalists that aren't just sports journalists. Sports writers. There's a great there's great. They're writer. a dying
3: breed. That's the problem. The problem I don't is, agree with that. I the think problem is that ones. journalism is under siege. And you know, to me, it's, it's, to answer your question, it's, it's a lot more simple. To me, it's about the haves and the have-nots. To me, that's what it's come down to. It's come ta- down to the the, le- the level of financial inequality. That, on one hand, Kareem, to your point, it's enormously positive when you have a presidential election and narratives that weren't discussed before now become part of the mainstream. And of course, Bernie Sanders did that with health care, which is ironic because now he's back raised 5.9 million dollars in a single day strictly from private citizens giving him money for his campaign, and I have no doubt will have the biggest war chest of any candidate, even those getting funding from their super PACs and corporate donations, because he's appealing straight to the people. Whether he wins or not, we can speculate on a completely different podcast. But what I like to see is when we have these issues become part of what previously weren't even considered before because they were crazy. But my countervailing uh, opinion to Dan is that uh, I, I don't share his enthusiasm as long as we continue to see this kind of inequality. As long as you don't have choice in what you eat, what you drink, what you enjoy, what you watch, where you go to watch sports. As long as that choice keeps getting limited and limited, the quality of what you're getting back will become limited over time and if you look at the state of our society today and the way that we're treating one another especially when it comes to social welfare, welfare, social assistance, you know the way more and more provinces are becoming conservative provinces that are cutting off a lot of these services that people on the left respect and need again if we don't strive to find a balance we'll see that gap widening to the point where in 2020, don't be surprised if Donald Trump continues doing what Donald Trump does best, which is be a completely obvious animal to anyone who's got half a mind to really think about what he's doing. And for those who are blissfully ignorant, they'll continue to vote for him because, as Dan mentioned, those messages aren't stopping unless the powers that be start tightening. I mean, what did Zuckerberg promise at the committee? That he would double his efforts and hire instead of two translators in certain countries? Four. Or maybe 30. It's such an insult to our intelligence yeah. because unless you have Hard way to stop that disinformation. It'll keep crawling through, and like, young impressionistic minds will be taken advantage.
1: Canada's I mean, I, election committee, like that's supposed to look into this, like site, like they don't have any participation with the platforms, so like it's like okay, great. We can just to point out, to go back to what you were saying though. I think it's other thing just to point out the two other reasons why I'm optimistic, and you reminded me of it, is that there were a ton of voices that weren't heard before this all this started up. So like women and people of color in media and journalism was pretty low and pretty bad like the representation was pretty it's not a ton better but it's getting better and we're talking about it at least so I think that a lot of the reason why you see this like brash right wing like screw everything is because all of a sudden they had to deal with new voices in their in their timelines that they never had to deal with before and they were just like the world's changing so I think everyone's also dealing with a lot of you know I call it like objects in the mirror seem closer than they appear. People are like, someone has a Tumblr page. They have all the power. Men are losing. And you're like, no, that's not what's happening. <laughs> um, and so I think that, but because of that, people listening to each other's voices, I think that you can easily say, like, we're shrinking and we're getting worse. And I do agree that there's a lot of problems with, we need to regulate a lot more in journalism and in with Silicon Valley. That's a longer conversation. But I do think that th- because of podcasting and because of, you know, all of these channels. Yes, we have terrible actors. But we also have really amazing new voices that have changed the conversation, whether mm-hmm. that's just a Me Too right on the bat or whether it's a deeper sure. situation behind the scenes. And
3: Karine, we talked about this now. This podcast industry, if you will, is overwhelmed. You know, five, six years ago, I could walk into a cafe and think I was all cool and eclectic for having a podcast. Now I walk into that same cafe, and like 90% of the people, there are doing actual podcasts. So on one hand, it's liberating that we have access to the technology. Unfortunately, a lot of it is just the extre- you know the extension of verbal diarrhea or someone who wants to do the equivalent of getting you to click on that link because they have a soundbite yeah. from, you
0: know, Jose sure. Bautista. Where, where, I'll get to you, if you know, Ellen. Um, I'll get you in a second. So before we officially end off... Um, I think I asked this question at the beginning, I don't know if we answered it. And Greg, I'm gonna, I don't know if you guys have well, met Greg. Greg. He's on Greg the, the, the other is side of the, the table. Really <laughs> minutes, <laughs> but, the, so the, so very quickly, we'll start yeah. with Greg, very quickly. Um, where, what should people do? So, I mean, you you put together a, an email to me um, that, I don't know, five, 10,000 words, um, deep linked to a, a bunch of articles, um, and it took, I haven't finished reading it, and it, I've been reading it for four hours. Um, so what, Greg, start with you, what, in your opinion, should people do to better, not just educate themselves, I guess educate themselves, with the caveat being education of, you know, the truth, the real issues and, and where things stand and, and
4: that sort of stuff? Okay, can I, can I change that slightly? What should Sh- people do? People should listen to the voice that we actually don't have at this at this table right now. Yeah, um, a couple people in the room. I think of my kids. My kids are in their early twenties, and we talk about hope. Youth. Right? And I look at the platforms that are swaying us right now. What platforms are my kids? And I, I work with George Brown with the students there, the mentor program. What platforms aren't they on? They're not on Facebook. They're on, they're on Facebook, but they're not on Facebook. They're not on Twitter. They're on Instagram. Which is owned by Facebook. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and as a marketer, yeah. as a marketer, I'm trying to find ways to influence on Instagram. and It's a lot harder than it is to buy data on Facebook. I can get, I can get to them, but where I'm going with that is, is they're not on these platforms. And when I talk to them, I have hope. Now, again, as a marketer, or as, as representing marketers, we're probably going to find a way to mess up Instagram and Snap and whatever the next platforms are over the next 10 years. But I really do have hope when I talk to my kids and those kids about what they're consuming, how they feel right now. When you say they're saying, you know, it's bullshit or somebody said they're, they're looking at it now going, oh, it's complete bullshit. I've had it with this. Yeah, I have faith in that. All right. So I know I sort of switch your question around, but talk to the kids that are in their 20s. And, uh, uh, and again, to me, uh, hopefully that's the hope. Ari,
3: Sometimes I wish we could just resurrect comedians we've lost, like Bill Hicks and George Carlin and Mitch Hedberg, who can <laughs> help us by stating the obvious. And, and that's, I think that's really our only hope, is education. I mean, educating yourself is one thing, and I talked about that and came dangerously close, apparently, to sounding like a Tony Robbins-style <laughs> uh, motivational speaker, which is not the worst thing in the world. At least some people might leave today feeling a little bit better i like to know a little bit more, which is not a bad thing. Eh? It's kind of what I try to do when I have a podcast. But education, I, I'm very concerned about the way we're taking public schooling for granted in this country and the way that we're treating uh, the college-university system, the way we pursue vocations, the, the kind of debt we accumulate. I think as long as people are struggling with that, we're not going to make any progress because when you rob somebody of their dignity, they have no incentive to educate themselves or evolve. They're just happy with their Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever they're using, whatever new that's coming out to help glorify their own sense of being, except really what they're doing is projecting nothing but a a hollow edifice. So I think a lot of it has to do with governments, local governments, Not only investing in education, but also in some baseball fields and hockey rinks and basketball (laughs) courts. We've got to get out of our houses. We are getting so sedentary. That's a real problem. I used to be in a lot better shape. And then I got into heavy podcasting and social media. And I can tell you there are days that I just don't have any energy. And so what do you think I do when I go to read something? I get lazy. I don't take the time to hunt down the information I necessarily would if I'm feeling good about my self-image, my self-worth, and the fact that a government has my back. That's what we need.
1: Dan. I need to break up Silicon Valley, um, which is a lot easier said than done, but that's part one. Uh, it's just too much control, and there's it's just gone amok, and uh, that's yeah, yeah. a longer conversation. But um, there's little things that I think that organizations that are putting out studies and statistics and facts. So, like, we talk about fake news as sort of the war on information, or, you know, somebody can just come out and say fake news. That's always going to be there, but I think what we're really bad at is doing opposition research on ourselves sometimes. And what they found, studies have found that we call it, they call it inoculation or vaccination, the idea being if you release something to the public, you have to think about where is the fake news going to grasp onto that? Where's the George Soros comment going to come from? Where's that idea going to come from where this is all corrupt and everything? How do we plant trust back in? And a lot of it is a pre-assault, if you will. It is the, it's the, uh, almost (laughs) pre-bunking of something, where you actually want to come out and say, hey, uh, here's the infographic, and make it easier to disseminate, make it easier for people to look at, answer the questions that people are going to have before they have them. Mm -hmm. And studies have shown when you do that, the retention rate's better, as well as people will share it, probably. What we which aren't great is what I sent to you, which is just my own personal writings and stuff, but those are like deep dives that can't be shared easily and can't really be um, thrown around. So I think we need to get better in a weird way in the beginning at propaganda for good, but that becomes an arms race which doesn't go anywhere. So you need a a combination of what you said, media literacy in schools, better school programs, make sure people know. Uh, A lot of people are looking actually at gamification of understanding all of this stuff. So we play a little video game where people uh, take a look at how information works. Like I was incubated in all of these models and that's part of the reason why I've spoken out so much about against them because when you live them, it's really easy to understand like, oh, this is wrong. But most people don't do that with their media. They just get it. And they go, okay, whatever. And they don't think about Facebook. They don't look at the user agreement. They don't look at terms of service because who's going to? So laws to make those things much more transparent, laws to make um, uh, social media companies accountable. And when it comes to elections, uh, I think uh, the platforms need to actually pay into the system and create... All these journalists are out of work we need to actually start having some debunking and some actual journalism start happening and add just like ad councils you can't make false I- information you can't say that your coffee's like great for health purposes if it's not you need that in the system for um platforms to have as well you need to have ad standards be put across to digital so for example the mm-hmm. Ontario Prouds of the World Shouldn't exist. And of course, at the end of the day, here's where it all comes down to. Chairgirl needs to get off of the internet. Not because we hate Chairgirl, but because we created her. We created that person. It's, it's a fun click pinata to be like, oh, the young people are dumb and that's what they do. It's not that. It's the platforms that create that behavior.
0: Yeah, and, and, and PewDiePie needs to get off It's the same problem. YouTube, same problem, same problem, right?
1: It's like the platforms have to say no to the cash cows that are lowest common denominator yeah. hate.
0: And
3: Karim, we've talked about historical revisionism before. You've got to study your history. You have to understand how all of these things happened, not just so that you can better understand how to deal with them, but to see what generations before felt about propaganda and disinformation. I had my existential ass kicked about two and a half weeks ago when an article came out claiming that only one in five teenagers knew what the Holocaust was essentially about. And my first thought wasn't, I'm outraged that that exists. My first thought was, is this real news? Is this think tank getting that information? And then, of course, I researched it, found out it was legit, but it bothered me that I even questioned that. That's how attuned we've become in our, in our vulnerabilities, in our susceptibility, that somebody come out and say, hey, look, one in 66 kids have autism, and half the people I speak to go, oh, come on, that's inflated for agenda-driven purposes.
1: Who causes trust? I think
3: we can agree on that. And a belief, <laughs> and a belief in science. That's what makes great friends. Yeah. Believe in science.
0: Uh, listen, I, I think there's, you know... I think on an individual level, I think we should all individually and and hopefully teach your friends or your family this, is is take the time to read, but take the time to research as well. As as much as we'd like things to be black and white, um, I think we need to take the time to dive deep uh, and to research and to understand and to make sure the same way you do with your parents when they send you an article that sugar is now great for you or don't eat apples anymore and you go on Snopes.com and you send them a link that way, do it with the stuff that you're reading as well. right? So don't everything is not face value, and maybe it is, but do the research. I want to thank uh, Greg, Ari, uh, and Dan for being here. I want to thank all of you.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks. guys.